the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. The following program is sponsored No Truth Incorporated. Today on Know the Truth, Philip DeCourcy explores the power of God's eternal word. Jesus said, heaven and earth will pass away, but not one word of my words will pass away. And while the Bible has had a beginning in some sense, it will have no end because it will endure like the God who wrote it. The Bible has been burned The Bible has been banned. The Bible has been berated. But here it stands, and it will stand forever. Welcome to Know the Truth with Philip DeCourcy. I'm your host, Wayne Shepherd. Well, the Bible certainly has a lot to say about day-to-day life, like marriage and finances and decision-making. None of these things are what the Bible is really about. Today, Philip DeCourcy helps us understand the message and purpose of the Bible. Today's message comes from a series that Philip originally preached at a men's breakfast titled, Without Apology. Now, here's pastor and Bible teacher, Philip DeCourcy, with a message called, The Good Book. Mark Twain attended a Sunday morning sermon. And after the service, he met the pastor at the door. And following the service, he told him that he had a book at home that contained every word the pastor had preached that morning. Well, the pastor was a little taken back, and he assured Mark Twain that his sermon was original. But Mark Twain stood his ground and told him that I have a book at home. Every word in your sermon is contained in that book. And the pastor said, I'd like to see that book. And he said, well, I'll send it over to you tomorrow morning. Sure enough, the morning comes. The pastor receives a package from Mark Twain. And as he opens it up, he finds the book. And it's the dictionary. (laughs) And on the flyleaf of the dictionary are these words from Mark Twain. Words just words, just words. When it comes to preaching the Bible, I would suggest to you guys that those words echo the sentiment of many today when it comes to the Bible. Words, just words. For many, the Bible is a religious document written by men. They may even see it as inspirational, helpful, but they do not see it as a book inspired by God, authored by the Holy Spirit, and invested with the power of heaven. I'll give you an example. Bill Meyer of HBO fame, Real Time is his program. He used to have a program politically incorrect. He speaks, I think, for our culture, for a growing number of Americans when he says, I don't believe God is a single parent who writes books. See, for the world... The Bible may be inspiring at best, but it is not inspired. It's a religious document written by men. 
That's where the world is at, but that's not where the church is at, or that's certainly not where the church should be. Because it's our conviction, it's our creed, it's our confession that all Scripture is inspired by God. And it's profitable for doctrine, reproof, correction, and instruction in righteousness. We believe that the Bible contains God-breathed words. We saw that the Greek term inspired carries the idea of breathed out. Paul is saying that the Bible is the breathed out words of God. Don't be thinking of inspiration that God breathed into men and they wrote. God breathed out His Word, and in a mysterious, miraculous manner, the Holy Spirit ensured that the words were written corresponded to the words that God wanted written. And so you have, in the words of the writers of Scripture, the very Word of the living God. Jesus said, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. The Bible is the breathed out word of God. It mouths God's heart and God's mind to creation. We saw last time, 2 Peter 1 verse 21, that Prophecy doesn't come from the will of man, but the prophets or men of old were carried along by the Holy Spirit. And we saw that's the same term in Acts 27, verse 15, for the wind that carried the boat Paul was in across the sea. The wind caught the seal and carried, drove the boat. And the writer in Second Peter is reminding us that the prophets of old were carried along, directed by the Holy Spirit to write. That's our conviction, that the Bible is the God-breathed words of God. It's authored by the Holy Spirit, and it's living and it's powerful. And so we started to look through this text, and we covered two thoughts, didn't we? We looked at the nexus of Scripture, What is its integrating center? What is the Bible all about? Paul tells us in verse 15, from a child because of his mother, you have known the Holy Scriptures, which are able to make you wise unto salvation through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. What's the point of the Bible? What's the purpose of the Bible? What's the nexus of the Bible? It's faith in Jesus Christ. Now, the Bible will help you be a better man. The Bible will speak about romance and marriage. It will speak about work ethics. It will speak about friendship, the management of money. But that's not what the Bible at its heart is about. At its heart, it pulsates with the story of God's love for a fallen, sinful world and His plan to redeem that world and rescue mankind through the coming of His Son, Jesus Christ. My friend, if you have a Bible at home and you're not saved, you haven't understood what this book's about. This book will make you wise unto salvation through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. We looked at the nature of Scripture. It's God-breathed. And we're coming to look at what I call the necessity of Scripture. The necessity of Scripture. It's useful. That's another way to read the word profitable in verse 16. All Scripture is given by inspiration. It's God-breathed out words and is profitable. Notice that, profitable, useful. And so we want to come and look at that. And before I do that, I'm just going to briefly take maybe you know five to ten minutes and just help you become a better apologist for Jesus Christ, to have a reason for the hope that lies within you. 
Because we looked at the explanation of inspiration. We looked at the extent of inspiration. It's all the writing. But I want to look for a moment at what I call the evidence of inspiration. You know what? Bill Meyer in our culture mocks the idea that God would write a book. Well, I do believe God wrote a book. I believe it's this book. I think there's evidence to show that. So I want to look at some proofs of inspiration. When it comes to the proof of inspiration, one of my favorite quotes is A.T. Robertson, a great Southern Baptist Greek grammarian, who said, the greatest proof that the Bible is inspired is that it has survived so much bad preaching. And that's good. That's proof enough. It has survived guys like me and others who have mishandled it and just done not a good job with it. But here's several arguments quickly. What I call number one, it's internal testimony. You've got to begin here. This is a clear, indisputable fact that whether you agree with it or not, let's at least be honest enough to admit that the Bible writers give voice to their conviction that they are writing the words of God. Call them deluded but you can't seriously study this book and at least not be challenged by the internal testimony of the writers who tell you this isn't a human document. This isn't a religious book inspired by wise men. No, this is the breathed out word of the all-wise God, and they have become a conduit for his revelation. 3,808 times in the Old Testament you'll get this phrase, I'll quote it in the old King James that I grew up with. Thus saith the Lord. They're conscious that the words they're speaking are not their words. In the Pentateuch, the first five books of the Bible, you'll find that phrase 600 times. I'll give you two verses, one from the Old Testament and one from the New Testament. In Exodus 24, verse 4, we read about Moses that he wrote down all the words of God. If you go to John in Revelation 2, verse 7, you'll find as he records God's word, he says seven times to the seven churches in Asia, he that has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit of God says. This is not John's words. These are the Spirit of God's words. So it's internal testimony. Number two, it's amazing unity. It's amazing unity. Now, guys, you know, that the Bible is a library of books. Not one book. It's 66 books written by 40 different authors across 1,500 years written in three different languages from three different continents. And yet, it has a cohesive message. There's no internal contradictions in the Bible. There's a seamless unity because you see it makes his ways into salvation. It's about the coming of Jesus Christ and his gospel, his life, his death, his resurrection, his ascension, his present ministry in heaven, and his coming again at the end of the age. And here's a book, 40 different authors, over 1,500 years, three continents, three languages, and yet it's unified. That's why Jesus could say, beginning at Moses and the prophets and the Psalms, he showed to them the things concerning himself. It's one story. There's a unity to the Bible that's marvelous. You can't say that about the Quran, by the way. The Quran was written over 23 years. That's it. 23 years by a single author, and it lacks unity. There's an amazing disunity in the prophecies and the verses of the Quran. 
Let me take a moment because I think this will help you grasp it. This is written by Harold Wilmington at Liberty University. He says this, Let us imagine a religious novel of 66 chapters, which was begun by a single writer around the 6th century A.D. After the author had completed five chapters, he suddenly dies. So follow this. See, that's the Pentateuch. That's Moses. You got your first five books of the Bible. The guy dies. But during the next 1,000 years up to the 16th century, another 30 amateur freelance writers felt constrained to contribute to the unfinished novel. Few of these authors shared anything in common. Some of them were black, others were white, others were yellow, a few were brown. They spoke different languages, lived at different times in different countries, had different backgrounds, occupations, and they wrote with different styles. Let us furthermore imagine that at the completion of the 39th chapter in the novel, all the writing ceases for 400 years. Not one word is added until the 20th century. After this long delay, it begins once again. There's eight new authors who add 27 chapters. You get the analogy? He says, imagine that. How would that novel read? Would it be unified? Would there be inherent contradictions? Probably. Surely. Common sense tells you that. My friend, you apply those principles of the Bible. How do you come up with a unified Bible? With a singular message, with no internal contradictions. Because God wrote it. Here's another idea. Fulfilled prophecy. Internal testimony. Amazing unity. Fulfilled prophecy. The Bible not only opens a door to the past, the Bible opens a window to the future. We believe that God knows all things, past, present, and future. As I heard a pastor say one day, has it ever occurred to you that nothing has occurred to God? Has it ever occurred to you nothing has occurred to God? God knows all things. Now, if that's the God who wrote this Bible, I would assume then this Bible will reflect his attributes and his nature, and it does because the Bible not only is history, it's prophecy. It predicts future history. And we don't have time to get into all of that, but that's one of the things that makes the Bible astounding. One of my favorite heroes is Winston Churchill. He once said, I always avoid prophesying beforehand. It is much better policy to prophesy after the event has already taken place. (laughs) Of course. One example, the life of Christ. We could look at prophecies concerning the four great empires back in Daniel 2. We could look at prophecies regarding Cyrus, the Assyrian king. But let's just take the life of Christ. You go back to the Old Testament before Jesus is born, and you'll find the time, the place, his family, his ministry, and the details of the method of his death. Go to Daniel 9, and you'll find the time he'll be born. Go to Micah 5, 2, and you'll find the town he'll be born in, and what tribe his family comes from. Go to Isaiah 61, and you'll be told about his ministry, preaching to the poor and liberty to the captive. Go to Psalm 22, and you'll realize they'll pierce his hands and they'll pierce his feet. Amazing, isn't it? Now, the Bible is God's Word. Internal testimony, amazing unity, fulfilled prophecy, fourthly proven indestructibility. What does the Word of God say in Isaiah The word of the Lord shall stand forever. Books go out of print. They need updated and revised, not the Bible. The word of the Lord shall stand forever. Jesus said, heaven and earth will pass away, 
but not one word of my words will pass away. And we're back to that idea. The Bible reflects the nature of God. God is omniscient. The Bible takes us from the beginning of history to the end of history. And the Bible reflects the eternal and enduring nature of God. God is indestructible. He's had no beginning and no end. And while the Bible has had a beginning in some sense, it will have no end because it will endure like the God who wrote it. It's an anvil that has broken many a hammer. It's worn out the hammers of those that hate it and mocked it. The Bible has been burned. The Bible has been banned. The Bible has been berated. But here it stands, and it will stand forever. And you can build your life on it, guys. Jesus said it's like a rock. And if you're a wise man, you'll build your house on a rock, not sand. And the Bible is that rock. When it comes to the indestructibility of the Bible, I like the story of a fellow Irishman who built a stone wall. He built it three feet high and six feet thick. And when he was asked why he built it thicker than it was high, he said, well, I'm anticipating that when it gets knocked over, it'll be taller than it's ever been before. Well, you know what? There's plenty of people who have tried to knock the Bible over. And every time they try to knock it over, it just rises higher and higher and higher. Because it is the Word of God. It stands the test of time. Its critics will die, but it will live on forever. Now, here's where we're going to segue. Not only its internal testimony, its amazing unity, its fulfilled prophecy, its proven indestructibility. What about its transforming ability? It's power to change lives. The Bible is the word of life. Philippians 2.16, holding forth the word of life. Hebrews 4.12, it's living. Tell me what book is living. Living and powerful. Tell me what book changes lives like the Bible does. It has fixed marriages It has conquered addictions. It has reformed character. It has added purpose to people's lives by the gift of eternal life. It has sweetened trials. It has brought comfort in the face of death. That's what the Bible is able to do. Back actually to Harold Wilmington in a very helpful article I read on the Bible. He tells the story about a public square in New York where preachers could get up or just people that wanted to spout off on a soapbox. And this communist get up in New York City several years ago and he pointed to a raggedy bum who was asleep on one of the park benches and he said, you know what? Communism will put a new suit of clothes on that old man there. And after he had done, a Christian got up and he said, you know what? The Bible will put a new man in that old suit of clothes there. It's true. So let's come and look at the necessity of Scripture because it is profitable. These are just the beginning of an argument for you to defend your Bible, be unashamed. But let's look at the necessity for a few moments. These verses we didn't finish. All Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable, useful, necessary for doctrine, reproof, correction, instruction, and righteousness that the man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. The health, joy, and impact of your life in Christ depends largely on what you do with your Bible. Because the Bible will make you wise unto salvation, it will instruct you in righteousness, and it will equip you for every good work within the will of God to live out your purpose. When it comes to the beginning, the middle, and the end of the Christian life, the Bible is absolutely necessary, and we'll see in a moment, totally sufficient. 
Here's a statement, pretty simple, but write it down. There is no Christian competency apart from the Bible. It's just a fact. That's what Paul's arguing here. There's no Christian competency without the Bible. You can't be a fully rounded, impactful, living for Jesus Christian apart from the Bible. You've got to be man of the Word. You've got to be in the book so that the book can be in you, making you wise unto salvation, equipping you unto every good work, instructing you in the things of God and His will. And remember, he that does the will of God abides forever. So let's look at the profitability of the Bible. Three things quickly as it relates to salvation. We're kind of doubling back, but it's worth doubling down. Verse 15. If you know the Scriptures, and Timothy did because his mother taught him them, so did his grandmother. Read about both Eunice and Lois in chapter 1. And with that knowledge of Scripture, Timothy was made wise unto salvation through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Remember, the nexus of the Bible is the story of God's redeeming love in Christ. It makes us wise unto salvation. We get saved. We come into a relationship with Jesus Christ by, through the means of, the Bible preached and believed. No other way to get saved. Faith comes by what? Hearing and hearing by the Word of God. Look at Acts 2.41, the day of Pentecost, 3,000 people saved. What do we read? And they gladly received the Word and were baptized. What's the means of a man coming to faith in Jesus Christ? The Word of God preached, the Word of God communicated, the Word of God taught, and that Word believed on. One more example would be 1 Thessalonians 1 verse 6. Paul's writing to a church in Thessalonica. These people got saved out of paganism, idolatry. He'll talk about how God indeed turned their hearts and they turned to God from idols. But in verse 6, he says that you received the word in much affliction and joy of the Holy Spirit. Guys, how do people get saved? They get saved by a clear, compelling, and compassionate rendering of the gospel the sharing of God's Word. And then you and I ramming that home, pleading the cause of Christ and asking for a verdict and calling that person to make a decision to put their faith in what they have heard about Jesus Christ and God's love for them and His death on the cross for their sin. That's how people get saved. You're listening to Philip DeCourcy here on Know the Truth. At Know the Truth, we're committed to preaching the Bible with boldness, clarity, and without apology. To revisit any of the messages in our study of 2 Timothy, you can go online to ktt.org. And if you're new to the program, we've got a free CD message we'd like to send your way. When Paul was preparing to pass the torch to young Timothy, he left clear instructions behind. From Paul's example, we too can learn how to become strong and courageous leaders for the gospel. Ask for the free CD message titled Leadership Development, available online at ktt.org. Or call us at 888-644-8811. Know the Truth is available on the radio and the web because of the faithful giving of listeners like you who understand the value of clear, convicting Bible teaching. Every dollar you give goes directly towards bringing Phyllis messages to men and women across the country and around the world. Help God's Word reach hearts that are hungry to know the truth when you give today. 
Call 888-644-8811 or give online at ktt.org. And you can also write to us at Know the Truth, Post Office Box 30250, Anaheim Hills, California, 92809. When you give today, Philip has selected an insightful book we'd like to send your way. It's titled The Leadership Lessons of Jesus by Bob Briner and Ray Pritchard. Whether you're a leader in your church, your office, your community, or your family, this book will teach you to lead others as you follow Christ. Rather than modeling our leadership after the ways of the world, learn the leadership lessons of Jesus when you read this book. To request your copy, simply give online at ktt.org or call 888-644-8811. That's all the time we have for today. I'm Wayne Shepherd, inviting you back Tuesday for more on Know the Truth. Today's program was produced and sponsored by Know the Truth Incorporated. Jesus said, you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. Diabetes, high blood pressure, anxiety meds, everyone's on them. If you're a 50-year-old male, maybe a bit porky, and you may even have type 2 diabetes, a million dollars of term insurance may only cost you about 200 bucks a month. Call Term Provider. Speak with Big Lou at 800-444-2013. Big Lou will find a term life policy for you even if you have type 2 diabetes, are overweight, or have high blood pressure. Term Provider has helped thousands of people like you who think they can't afford term life insurance. To buy a million dollars of affordable term life for you, all you need to do is call Big Lou at 800-444-2013. Lou will make sure the scales are tipped in your favor. Call 800-444-2013. Big Lou will answer your call and work to fit you into a term life policy that you can afford. Remember, Big Lou's like you. He's on meds, too. Call 800-444-2013. 800-444-2013. Bodhi Taney. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.